This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Africa Kikun has spearheaded an impressive range of community upliftment projects throughout South Africa. The organization was co-founded by late uh, Chief Rabbi Sol Harris. Uh, I'd like to welcome Mark Ladner. It's an absolute honor, and I will always make time for Chai FM because it's an invaluable part of our lives. And I'm just very grateful for giving me the opportunity. Mark, the obvious question to ask from the outset is how is COVID-19 I think she's the best possibly answer that question is to say that as our core, we always to to the chief rabbi to try and see how can we help communities that were in dire need. Twenty-five years ago, you know, the needs were around things like food security. Um, I recall him coming home and talking about, you know, the situation that he found in places like Orange Farm where families were absolutely destitute. And um, so we built food uh, gardens and soup kitchens. Um, and then in areas like uh, Deep Slurt, you know, there were women who were giving birth in the felt, so we built a birthing clinic. And, and, in, and essentially for the first 10 years, I think, of Tikkun's life, the organization was really focused around meeting urgent needs in various different communities. And about 15 years ago, when things were a lot more stable, we said, let's, my view was that wasn't really a sustainable way to build an organization in its continuity. And then what we had to do is create a model where there was an end result, the end result being individuals who were capable of getting into jobs for which they were well suited. So we converted Tikkun into a cradle to career initiative, built early childhood development centers, built youth centers, built career development training centers, set up a business unit that would then go to companies and put these individuals who've been trained through our programs into learnerships, into jobs. And when COVID hit, we kind of went back to our roots of saying, you know, whilst we're a child and youth development organization, uh, right now the community crisis is interventions around food security, hygiene, sanitation, and fear, dealing with the fear. You know, because we're, we're in the communities for as long as we've been, the communities look to us to give them some kind of stability, security, and stuff like this. So we had to very quickly come out with pamphlets and go on radio, telling township communities what to do in the face of this tsunami that is about to hit them. And it's what we're still doing. So, Mark, you are part of the government's approved NGO that are working with government to help the communities. And what, what have you experienced? Is it kind of a bit of an emotional roller coaster ride for you? Yeah, exceptionally. Exceptionally. I've been working 15 years uh, in the townships. Um, as a kid uh, fighting against apartheid, I was kind of uh, often at times in Alexander Township. Um, and found that I had no idea of just how uh, impoverished these communities have in fact become when I see the demand for food. Um, and this, this isn't just chances, people standing in line, you know, hoping that they can get a free handout. There really is desperation in these communities. There are people who are literally um, having to scavenge for food. Um, and I think what we don't often realize, those of us who live in such privileged environments, is we, we come home and we've got a fridge that's stocked and we say, oh, my gosh, 
you know, uh, uh, we're running short on bread and milk. We better stock up and throw into our deep freeze and make sure bread and milk. The reality is that in many instances, most instances, in, in shack communities, there is no refrigeration. There's no stocked up food supply. So people have to kind of live on a day-to-day basis uh, to, to get their food. And the spaza shops provided a very, very important role. So when spaza shops were first closed in the lockdown, and now all of a sudden people have to travel huge distances, ask yourself the question, how does an elderly person you know, travel now a couple of kilometers to the nearest shop right or pick and pay and come back with sufficient volumes of food to be able to stockpile, as it were, for the next week? It wasn't happening. People were, you know, being forced to live uh, without anything, you know, in, 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 in their shacks. Uh, um, there was, uh, there were comments that I heard. I mean, we had flocks and flocks of people, way beyond the numbers we could service, coming to our centers. And I, I was saying to people, but don't you understand you're going to get arrested? And the reaction that I got from many of them was to say, well, you know what, at least if we get arrested, we're going to get a meal in jail. Crazy way to, to be, be living life. Mark, the government has um, stipulated large amounts of money for people of certain categories, but um, you're not limited to who you can help. And I, I just wonder that what you describe indicates so much need. Do you have categories of people as because that you can help or can't help? And if you have people who are, yeah. you know, here people have been standing in queues and sleeping overnight, to be able to get to the first one in a, you know, a queue for food. It's, um, it's, it's, it's really a great question because, you know, the, and, and please don't read this and miss at all. I mean, I am absolutely enthralled, uh, in particular with our Jewish community. Uh, but, but, but across the sector, I can tell you that we've had, uh, as an organization, Tikkun, we've had wonderful support, I must tell you, from the Muslim community, um, from various different sectors, from retail groups like Pick and Pay all the way through to, um, you know, brands like, um, you know, Fisherways that I've just gotten off the call to talk about what can they convert their resources to help others. Uber has been in discussions with us for argument's sake over about how we're going to help them feed Uber drivers. So please don't get this wrong. But the biggest complaint that I would have, if there is a complaint, is that too many people are doing too many wonderful things and not supporting existing structures that are already in place. And government has, if anything, recognized that, and I give them credit for that, because they are recognizing that in communities, township communities in particular, there is the spirit of Ubuntu. It existed before COVID, and it will exist through COVID and after COVID. What I mean by that is poor people help one another in the most amazing and unusual ways. An individual who may be at best is surviving on a can of pilchards and a loaf of bread will share that with his or her next-door neighbor. And these Stockfell associations, they've existed for, for years and years and years, where people put into a communal pot to help one another. So what Sikun's approach was, was first and foremost to say, we're going to look after the kids that are coming to our centres. We have about 10,000-odd kids that were attending our centres at the time of the lockdown. We sent those 10,000 kids home with a food parcel to last them a month with masks, sanitizers, and pamphlets to say this is what you need to do in the face of COVID. We then realized we needed to get help for those individuals, particularly youngsters, who were being brought up, raised by Gorgles as their primary caregiver. 
if those elderly people got ill, what were we going to necessarily do about caring for those youth? So we started a Neighbor Help Neighbor program where we would identify, because of our knowledge of people within the communities, the beneficiaries we serve, we know where they live, we know what their circumstances are, so we would go and visit the next-door neighbors and deliver to them food parcels on the understanding that they would help their next-door neighbor, i.e. a Google and the kids. Um, and then we started to identify other people within the community. The Kuns had a program looking after families who were living with handicapped kids. There were about 2,000 families that we were supporting prior to COVID. We had to make sure that the handicapped and their families were cared for. So, in essence, what we did is we did three things. We, 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 we raised money, amazing, amazing contributions from particularly ex-South African Jewish community members. Um, I'm not sure they necessarily want me to mention them, but people like David Frankel, um, uh, people like um, the Mushal family, um, my own family through my cousin Gary Lubner, Ronnie Lubner Foundation, etc., gave very, very generously enabling us to buy food parcels. Solidarity Fund, which, as you know, is a joint initiative with government funding and private funding, contracted us to be a food distributor. And we started distributing first from our centers through these community-based organizations we have relationships with. We then went and found other non-for-profit organizations, other NGOs, that we could give to that we knew would be able to necessarily support other township communities. So my brother runs the Sabrina Love Foundation down in Plettenberg Bay, and I'm pleased to say we were fortunate to be able to support them and other organizations. Um, a, a, a whole array of other organizations that we were able to start bonding together with by giving them food parcels to distribute and our systems on measuring who they were giving to. Um, and then more recently... Uh, we've started to look at um, a broader sector of organizations that might need you know, smaller food parcels, like, for example, an Uber, supporting their drivers, who are maybe not going to give a month's supply of food, but certainly give enough to give an emergency food pack that might last two or three weeks. So essentially a three-tier approach, but we've got records of exactly who we're giving to. And, 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 and trying to address the most vulnerable. Mark, you speak about the goodwill that's out there, and I think every South African wants to do whatever he or she can to help fellow South Africans in this really terrible time. What, firstly, what do you think we should be doing in terms of saying, supporting this organization? And two, are you worried about um, fatigue, donor fatigue happening? It has carried on months and months and months. I am, because uh, um, I am, and also let me tell you one of the, I think, positive spins on this. One of the positive spins is that, uh, and forgive me, I'm going to be making a very judgmental statement. You know, what we do, and South Africans are generous, to a T. But unfortunately, I don't think many of us really recognize just how bad poverty really is. And just, we talk about, we read about the inequality quality between the haves and the have-nots in this country. The, the reality is that this COVID situation has brought it very much home to us all. Poverty is a number one um, agenda item at the moment. We have a situation 
where, and I'll bring it close to home. So many of us sent our domestic workers back home to their township environments. Now we worry that these individuals are being exposed because there's no such thing as social distancing. Not enough wearing of masks, and certainly in many instances there isn't uh, running water to be able to wash your hands, you know, eight, nine times a day. So now we're saying, well, hang on a second, are we going to bring these individuals, our domestic servants, domestic workers, not servants, workers, because many of them are family members, essentially, are we going to bring them back into our homes and risk the infection in our own homes? So, in other words, what it's done is it's brought things very close to home all of a sudden, this issue of poverty, which is a good thing, because it means that we will start being a lot more innovative and, and our generosity might necessarily be directed into uh, a, a be- coming up with better solutions. To that point, there are some amazing issues going on. Earlier this morning, I was on the phone with Minister Zulu, Minister of Social Development, around a whole program to issue vouchers, such as giving out cash distribution in terms of social grants, but rather give out vouchers on nutritional food products that will be sourced from South African companies, rather than necessarily buying you know, from imported sources. So I do sense a lot of good things happening. And so my first appeal would be to any of the listeners that may be listening right now, first and foremost, let's support our own. We've got to make sure that uh, the Kev is adequately funded. But if you've got a rand to give away, give away 50 cents of that to the Kev uh, because they do an amazing job of work in looking after those in our society that so desperately in need. And then with the balance, split it and start looking for organizations Obviously, I'm making an appeal for a Jewish-led organization like Africa to Crew that's working in the township, known to be Jewish in its identity. We're not a faith-based organization, but we are recognized as a Jewish-led initiative working in uh, the heart of these township environments. So you can support us by going onto our website, www.africa, with a K, A-F-R-I-K-A, tikun.org. Support the mask program, support the naked food program, support neighbor help neighbor program, whatever. That's a financial contribution. By buying masks, obviously, you're helping us to become sustainable because we're going to need to be wearing masks, I believe, certainly for another year to come. Mm-hmm. And as far as food sustainability is concerned, um, I think what one has to do is to almost start thinking in one's budget, monthly budget. How are you going to allocate a tithe that's necessarily going to go to those people who are underprivileged? My appeal, and I'm sorry if I'm making a speech, wonderful, wonderful Jewish community initiatives, Jewish Jews around South Africa are incredible. Every one of them is jumping up to launch programs to make peanut butter salmons to hand out, or, but they're not sustainable programs. Get involved in programs where there's going to be some continuity after, let's call it, the urgency of the situation has kind of been swallowed and everybody's kind of coming to terms with this new way of life. The reality is poverty is not going to go away until we all collectively do something about it. And and that's not just a once-off affair. It's unfortunately an ongoing affair until the economic circumstances change materially.
Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Um, there's a lot of food for thought in what you've said, and certainly it comes out of your years of experience in this field. So thank you so much for joining me, and thank you so much for sharing and sharing and making your time available. It's really appreciated. I wish you so much for now. A good service to you and a good service to all of our community and just lots of love and, contrib- and, and compliments for what is really, really a remarkable community that I'm incredibly proud to be a part of. Uh, I read every day about wonderful initiatives that Jews in this country are undertaking and I can only say compliments, kolakavot, and just please keep on, keep on.